You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. We're starting a new series today uh, called Revival. Um, How many of you have ever been a part of a revival? Has anybody ever done like revival services or been to a revival meeting or anything like that? Um, I, I remember having revivals as, as a kid here in this place. I, I remember there was um, a, some missionaries from, um, to Africa. They were um, American, but they were missionaries to Africa and friends of my, of my father. Uh, Joanne Britton, I forget her husband's name. Do you remember her husband's name, Rochelle? All right. So they would come and we would do a lock-in and the teenagers just had a lock-in this weekend. It's not one of those lock-ins. I mean, it was, it was a lock-in. Honestly, we would come together for three days and we would fast at the entire church. And I think, I think the, the moms would have like little food for the kids because us kids really couldn't hang with a three-day fast or whatever. But we would do these fasts and we would, have, we would be in here in the church for three days right? And everyone's just brought sleeping bags. And I mean, just, it was, it was wild, right? And so, so we would have services and prayer and devotion during the day. And then every night was a revival service. And so people invited people to come and all this stuff was happening. And I probably shared some of these stories with you in the past. Um, But man, it's amazing when you have a heart of expectation for God to do something and your faith gets put out there in ways, and you watch God do some significant things. I mean, the power of God that moved in this place in that time with that, those um, small gatherings of places, and, and there used to be pews in here, and so we would, as kids, be sleeping under the pews and all that kind of stuff. Um, but man, God did amazing things, just the power of the Spirit falling in this place, people being baptized in the Spirit, people speaking in tongues, I mean, healing coming. Uh, I, I, share, I share this story in the past, but I remember there was a man who showed up in a wheelchair, And I had absolute faith that this dude was going to walk. I think I was 12. So I come up to take, I take a few of my friends and I go up to this guy and and I say, I just really feel like the Lord, the Lord, there's a grace for you to walk. I'm not sure if I use these words, but, um, you know, I think, I think we're going to pray for you and you're going to walk. And so I was like, can we pray for you? And he's like, yeah, 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 I guess, I guess you can, you know. So, man, we're praying with all of our guts. I mean, just, you know, a bunch of kids. And so then I was like, all right, are you ready? And, 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 he, and, I, and I put my hand out, and he grabbed my hand, but he was just like, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen, buddy. And I was like, I'm still convinced to this day that if that dude would have used my arm as leverage to walk, that he would have walked in this place. I, I'm absolutely just knowing what God was doing with those services when we decided to allow God to do some powerful things, you know. Um, so he didn't walk. Um, my faith wasn't moved, but um, that was just kind of, you know, some of the, the revival kind of experiences that I had growing up. And so uh, revival in, in definition in, in the Webster's Dictionary, and if you kids don't know about that, you know, there wasn't like an online dictionary. It was like the Webster's Dictionary. It was like this big old book with every word you can think of that was in there. So Webster's Dictionary says, a period of renewed religious interest or the second definition, an often highly emotional evangelistic meeting or series of meetings. Now, these are worldly cultural 
definitions. And so if you read these things, they say, well, that's just weird. Uh, you know, highly emotional evangelistic meeting or series of meetings. So you think revival and you think we're going to pitch a tent and it's just going to be crazy. and We're going to be handling snakes and drinking poison and testing the scriptures. Um, and, and honestly, when we look historically at what God has done through revivals, it's not necessarily what we see. We see um, so, some amazing things taking place. I want to give us a little history of that. And so most recent revivals, kind of in the 20th century that we've seen take place. So um, the, first, the first one that, that we want to identify, it actually started in the 1850s, and it was called the Third Great Awakening. Now, the, if you think there's a third, that means there was a first and there was a second, and so now there's a third. And this is in the 1850s, and listen, it swept across Europe into India, into the U.S., and listen, this third great awakening brought about the likes of D.L. Moody in Chicago, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, Charles Spurgeon, and even a professional baseball player turned evangelist named Billy Sunday. That's Ken's dude. And so... Um, so this, great, this third great awakening, it just lasted until the 20s, this great awakening of, of, of Holy Spirit and fire coming upon the church and seeing God just doing amazing things. These, these institutions being birthed out of Holy Spirit fire, the, the Salvation Army. Um, D.L. Moody, if you know anything about the, the uh, Moody, the Bible Institute in Chicago, it's one of the, the greatest Bible Institutes still in this nation. Um, and then we see all these other revivals happening around the world, 1904 through 1905, the Welsh Revival. If you know anything about the Welsh Revival, it swept through Wales into Europe. But listen, the result of the Welsh Revival, listen, was 20 years of full churches. It means this revival takes place between 1904 and 1905. And as a result, for 20 years, the churches in Wales were full. Can you imagine that? Not, not just a church. The churches in that nation were full because of this revival that took place in Wales. And we, we see uh, one that is here close, close to us, um, the Azusa Street Revival. How many of you have ever heard of the Azusa Street Revival? If you go downtown L.A., you can still see a monument that's been placed there by the city. By the city. There's a city placard in downtown L.A. And it says this is a place that the Azusa Street Revival took place. I mean, it's powerful. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit about that just because it's a little bit closer to home and because Ken's going to love it. We're going to read about the Azusa Street Revival. Listen, so um, listen, the Azusa Street Revival was led by a one-eyed, one-eyed, 34-year-old son of a slave named William J. Seymour here in Los Angeles, California. On February 22nd in 1906, he arrived in Los Angeles and two days later, he started preaching at a church. Listen to this, on the corner of 9th and Santa Fe. So there's a bit of history about this. In, 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 there's a bit of history in our church, is Restoration LA. The history of our church is it was birthed, listen to this, in 1908 on Santa Fe Avenue. You cannot tell me that the Azusa Street Revival didn't have an impact on who we are as a church. The Azusa Street Revival took place from 1906 to 1915. Nine years this thing took place in downtown Los Angeles on Santa Fe, where this church was birthed as an urban mission, right? It didn't come to our church, it didn't form until 1922 officially. But man, can you imagine that? That we have roots. So look, look at someone next to you and say, revival's in your blood. Revival's in your blood. Listen, 
Seymour and his small group, uh, his small group of new followers soon re relocated to a home um, of Richard and Ruth Asbury, and this was on Bonnie Bray, Bray Street. You can actually visit this house still and see. You did the tour, huh, Kenny? You, you could go see this house and hear about all the amazing things that the Lord did here in Los Angeles through this revival. Um, on, uh, so this um, group would gather together regularly, pray, and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what's crazy is that William Seymour was not even baptized in the Spirit. It's like everyone that he was ministering to was baptized in the Spirit before he was. And then eventually he gets baptized in the Spirit. On 1906, after five weeks of Seymour preaching um, and three days into the intended 10-day fast, um, people begin to speak in tongues. And then at the next meeting, um, um, Seymour began to speak in tongues including all these, uh, Jenny Moore, uh, which is his wife, who, oh, who would later become his wife. A few days later, on April 12th, Seymour spoke in tongues for the first time after praying all night long. Uh, news of this event at Bonnie um, Bray Street quickly circulated among the African-American, the Latinos, and the white residents of the city. And for several nights, various speakers would preach to the crowds of curious and interested onlookers from the front porch of the Asbury home. Members of the audience included people from a broad spectrum of income levels and religious backgrounds. Um, Hutchins, who was actually led this church, um, she was a woman named, uh, I think it was Julie Hutchins, led this church, eventually spoke in tongues as her whole congregation began to attend the meetings. Soon the crowds became very large and were full of people speaking in tongues, shouting, singing, and moaning. Finally, the, the, listen, the front porch collapsed at this house, forcing the group to begin looking for a new place. Um, so a resident of the neighborhood described um, the happenings at 216 North Bonnie Beach with these following words. They shouted three days and three nights. It was Easter season. The people came from everywhere. By the next morning, there was no way to get near the house. As people came in, they would fall under the power of God's spirit, and the whole city was stirred. The whole city was stirred. They shouted until the foundations of the house gave way, but thank God no one was hurt. Azusa Street Revival here in Los Angeles. Powerful stuff. 1909, the, the great Chile Revival. This, this spread to the Americas. It spread to Africa. It spread to Asia among Protestants and Catholics. It was on the heels of a... Listen, this, this um, Chile Revival took place in 1909 on the heels of a smallpox epidemic and an 8.6 earthquake which devastated the entire nation. Isn't that crazy? That God would choose a time like that to send revival. A Methodist Episcopal minister named Will, um, Willis Hoover out of Chicago would move these meetings into um, uh, a tent meeting, and this is kind of where we start seeing these great tent revivals happening. 1930, there's a, uh, it's called a Balakol revival. And so Balakol, African word, meaning saved once. Right, 1930s, led by Simeon Nisibambi and John E. Church. And listen to this, this mo movement um, criticized the established hierarchies within the church. And if you know, as the churches begin to move into some of these third world nations, they begin to establish these hierarchies and these priesthoods that you couldn't get to God. And so these people were rejecting all of that and saying, we just want God and his purity. And then God, the Holy Spirit began to fall. Listen to this. Uh, the Balakoli formed an egalitarian brotherhood, which means they, they believed and relied on each other and not like this hierarchy of leadership, um, followed by puritanical rules, 
publicly confess their sins. They profess their experience of conversion, which they understood as radical um, breakthrough with their formal with their former sinful selves and receiving of a new life from God. They stress the importance, the importance on the Lordship of Christ over all areas of their life. I'm reading all these to you to show you the components of revival that we see taking place across this earth and what it looks like. The 1970s, which has probably affected a lot of us, brings the Jesus People Movement about. How many of you have heard about the Jesus People Movement? The Jesus People Movement was an evangelical Christian movement beginning here on the West Coast um, in California, in the United States in the 60s and in the early 70s, and spreading primarily throughout North America, Europe, and Central America before subsiding by the late 80s, meaning it began that, that Jesus People Movement began to taper off in the 80s. Members of the movement were called the Jesus People or even Jesus Freaks. Uh, there's a book by, uh, I think Jesus, um, no, sorry, um, who was that? Toby Mack, his group. Uh, there's a book called Jesus Freaks. Check it out. It's about modern day moder- um, martyrs. It's a pretty, pretty powerful book. Um, members of this movement were called Jesus People or Jesus Freaks. Its predecessors, the, the charismatic movement, had already been in full swing for about a decade. So listen, it involved mainline Protestants and Roman Catholics who testified to having supernatural experiences similar to those recorded in Acts by the Apostles especially speaking in tongues. Both of these movements held that they were calling the church back to a more biblical picture of Christianity in which the gifts of the Spirit would be restored to the church. From this movement, we see the birthing of Calvary Chapel. We see the vineyard and a resurgence of church planting in this nation. 1971, we see the, the, well, I say barrio, but it's not even, it's a Malaysian word, so I can't say barrio. I think it's supposed to be like barrio, um, revival. So the, the, the barrio revival, it wasn't here in East LA, but it was uh, in Malaysia. Uh, listen, as, as a prayer initiative, a prayer initiative intensified in 1972, sporadic renewals were noticed. The passion of evangelism was rekindled Preaching teams were scattered throughout the region, stirring up prayer. The result was conviction of sins and conversions. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit occurred on October 4th, 1973. Isn't it amazing they could put a date to this stuff? Man, this is when the Holy Spirit fell. When, when uh, um, Brett, uh, sorry, when Linton stood up in, on the day of Pentecost, a day when the Holy Spirit fell. That was, that was when the, the New Covenant revival took place. That revival we're still living in today. We'll get to that. So on this day, touching a teacher and a group of young students who humbled themselves in prayer, they approached their parents, relatives, and friends, sharing their newfound joy and liberty through their boldness to witness and preach. The fire soon spread in the villages, even among the young school children. The people began to experience deep convictions of sin, assurance of forgiveness and cleansing, and a renewed sense of unity and love. Touched by the gospel, many unbelievers in the community were converted. Hundreds were delivered from their habitual sins, drunkenness, and immorality. Revival. Lastly, 1994, it's a year I graduated high school, the Toronto Blessing. Toronto Blessing has become synonymous with charismatic Christians, circles for terms and actions that include an an increased awareness of God's love, 
religious ecstasy, external observance of ecstasy worship, being slain in the spirit, uncontrollable laughter, emotional or physical euphoria, crying, healing from emotional wounds, healing of damaged relationships, electric waves of the spirit, holy laughter as a result of overwhelming joy was a hallmark of its manifestation. And there were also some reports of instances of participants roaring like lions. We think this is funny, like, man, roaring like lions. Like, man, if you have never seen the Holy Spirit fall in ways that are uncontrollable, you have no control over how he operates. And to think that someone could roar like a lion, I'm saying I've seen, I've seen different. I've seen other things. Um, that's things that might spook us out, but just think of Pentecost. Think of Pentecost. Think of, of what took place when God the Spirit fell. So these people, roaring leaders and participants um, present, presented in these services, um, Present in these services claim that most of these manifestations, including some people roaring like lions, were physical manifestations of, ho- of the Holy Spirit's presence and power. And while some Pentecostals and charismatic leaders believe that these were counterfeits of the Spirit, as is mentioned in, in Scripture, um, we see that all that was taking place in Toronto was even attractive to the non-believer. Listen to this. In December 1994, Toronto Life magazine, TAV, as Toronto's most notable, that, that the, the Toronto blessing was Toronto's most notable tourist attraction in that year. That people came to Toronto, visiting Toronto as the greatest tourist attraction to experience the power of God. The power of God. Isn't that crazy? And we, we, we think about that and you're like, man, is it? That's weird. Like, why would people go somewhere to experience it? I'm telling you, people still do it today. I mean, not so long ago in Florida, there, there was a, 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 God was manifesting himself in these meetings. People were flying there, flying there to get what was happening there so they can take it back to their churches. And I'm telling you, because God, the spirit is here now. We don't have to fly anywhere to get anything. God is here. God is here. In John Tyson's book, Beautiful Resistance, we, we read um, this. He says, all great revivals have taken place in time of decline. And a lot of times I think we need numbers and we need masses in order for God to do something powerful. And really when God has showed up most is in the most tumultuous times in our history. In Chile, it was, it was, it was a smallpox epidemic and an 8.6 earthquake. I mean, just think about it. When there's earthquakes in Southern California, most churches are full the next Sunday. It's, it's just what happens. <laughs> but in great, all great revivals have taken place in time of decline. I want us to think about what took place in, in the New Testament. The dark ages had been God, the spirit was lifted from mankind and people were desperate for the presence of God again. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. There was a desperation on this earth that made things ripe and ready for God to manifest himself in his son, Jesus. And then when Jesus ascended back into heaven, we were ripe and ready for the Holy Spirit to be unleashed on mankind once and for all so we can live in the Holy Spirit age, which we are still living in today. So there's a question about revival. Is it, is it biblical? Is, is, you know, is revival biblical? And so I believe if for, in order for us to reach that um, answer, we have to uh, look into the definition of revive. Because if we read, if you look for honesty, if you look up revival, the definition is going to be uh, an emotional, charismatic bunch of services that take place. And that's, that's, that's not revival. So let's look at the word revive. The word revive means to restore to life. 
to restore to life. Something has to die in order for life to be restored. And isn't that the gospel message? That Jesus had to die in order for mankind to come back to life. The New Testament is a revival. The church that was birthed in Acts is a revival, right? So we, we aren't going to see a revival like a revival meeting happening in the New Testament because the entire New Testament is a revival. Jesus died so that the church could come to life. The message that was brought about, um, that brought about this revival started with a voice in the wilderness. And that voice in the wilderness was John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, John the Baptist, his, his message for revival was this. Repent from your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent from your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what brought a shift in the atmosphere on earth. Just think about this. The prophets had been silenced. Malachi, I mean, there was hundreds of years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The dark ages, meaning God had not spoken. And then a, a, a voice in the darkness, the, the last of the prophets to come, of, of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist, like light piercing through the darkness. I mean, if you could just think, like, I mean, they're just this breakthrough of God coming down, his voice coming back to the earth and saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. God was speaking again on the earth. Jesus echoed his message in, in his ministry. Jesus' first preach in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, what does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's so the, the New King James, I mean, that's the King James, the New Living would say, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I want, I want to take us to the Old Testament to just get a, a better understanding of these elements of revival that we need in order to see this type of um, breakthrough happen in our midst. And so 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14 most theologians would agree these are the elements to see revival take place. And we see revival take place often in the Old Testament. Why? Because people were falling away from God and God was calling them back. And then they would come back into a loving relationship with God and then they would fall away again. And then they would come back and then revival would take place. So there was, there was just revival happening for the nation of Israel over and over again because they kept falling away. And I think this is why the church still needs revival in this time, because the church keeps slipping into idolatry. The church keeps slipping into allowing distance between us and God when that is not new covenant any longer. We have access to God wholeheartedly, completely, 24-7. But here are the elements we see in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. Then if my people, can you say my people? No, you can say that better. My people. If my people who are called by my name, can you say my name? my name? The name of Jesus. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And do what? Pray. pray. Here's a plug. We have prayer service, 915, every Sunday morning. You're invited to be a part of that. You're invited to be here to pray, to allow the atmosphere of heaven to come, invade us, to work through us. My people who would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and do what? Seek my face, and then, and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, 
I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. So here's the components we see, elements of revival. Number one, a call to Christ. A call to repentance. When you're called by Christ, it starts with repentance. You have to turn from something and turn to him. So you have to turn from, it's described in, in, in Chronicles, as your wicked ways, your sinful nature. This is how I was living. I need to turn from that and turn towards Christ, right? You can't just turn from that and say, hey, I'm going to stop doing that and not turn towards Christ because then that's just behavior modification. Yeah. It's turning towards Christ, right? So it's a call to Christ, a call to repentance. That's one. Number two is a call to, uh, let me make a note on number one. That's our work. We have to repent and we have to turn towards Christ. God does the calling, but we have to do the action of turning from our sins and turning towards Christ. You guys get that? Two, it's also our work, a call to prayer. Man, we have to be in constant communication with our Lord. Communication, I mean, just think about how, what a powerful tool communication is on this earth with, with us. When, when, when mine and Vanessa's communication is flowing and it's loving and we're connected, I mean, this relationship is working well, right? I'm able to hear her and understand her. She's able to hear me and understand me because communication, and we've had to work a lot on this. But I'm telling you, we have to do this with God. If you are not praying, you're not going to understand God's language. If you're not praying, then God is not going to hear your heart. He knows your heart, but he needs to hear your heart. There has to be a desperation that comes from God's people. And it starts with prayer. So a call to prayer, that's our work. Three, a call to seek. A call to seek. And this is a holy desperation. No, we don't have to beg God. It's not begging God. But listen, we must be desperate for the presence and the power of the Lord. It's the only thing that differentiates us from anybody else on this planet. The only thing that differentiates us. If you think about Moses, did you share this last week uh, about Moses? I think big baby Linton did. But Moses, he went up to speak to God, and God was sending him with the Ten Commandments. Here, here's the Ten Commandments. Go back down the hill. You're going to be good, right? And that's what we want. Just give us rules, Lord. We can follow, and we'll be good. And Moses said, that's not enough. If I don't have your presence, if I don't have your presence, I don't want to go. It's the only thing that, that separates us from the rest of the world is we have the presence of God and we have to seek him. Are you seeking that presence? Or, or any time we, think of, we, talk, we talk about the presence of God or the manifestation, manifestation of the Holy Spirit, do we start to get freaked out and, and tweaked about that? It's the only thing that differentiates us from the rest of the world. Is we have the presence of God. With, we, have to call, we have a call to seek him. It is a holy desperation and that's our work. And then lastly, element of, restoration, um, of revival is restoration. And that's God's work. <laughs> See, we can't do that. We don't, we don't bring the healing. We don't bring the salvation. We don't bring the deliverance. And that is what salvation is. That sozo, that healed, saved, and delivered. This is what was taking place. And all of these revivals that we talked about, that was taking place. All that was taking place in the Azusa Street revival, that people were being healed, saved, and delivered. This is what takes place when revival comes, and that's God's work. God does that work. A.W. Tozer said something that I think uh, will shed some light on this. Our mistake is that we want God to send revival on our terms. We want God, I'm um, sorry, we want to get the power of God into our hands to, 
to call it to us that it may work for us in promoting and furthering our kind of Christianity. We want still to be in charge, guiding the chariot through the religious sky in the direction we want it to go, shouting glory to God, but modestly accepting a share of the glory for ourselves in a nice, inoffensive sort of way. We are calling on God to send fire on our altars, completely ignoring the fact that they are our altars and not his. I mean, that's powerful, friends. I don't want to read it again because it's long. But we can't have revival on our terms. We can't say, Lord, we want you to do this, but not this. Or Lord, we want, we want people to come into the church, but we don't really want to see all that comes with seeing a radical breakthrough take place. And we don't want the responsibility for that. Think of what took place in Acts. 2,000 or 3,000 people get saved at Pentecost. Now the church has a problem. There's 12 apostles and there's 3,000 people. We have more than that. We have more than those, that many leaders in the life of this church. And, you know, we, I don't know what we're carrying right now or the numbers are very vague. But, but they had 12 men to handle 3,000 people. And then what happens? They had to start ordaining deacons and they had to or start ordaining more people so that they could take care of the people. There was problems. There was a problem at Azusa Street. There's actually missions and churches that had to start popping up to, to actually start facilitating all these people who were coming to know Christ in downtown Los Angeles. There's a, a problem for these nations that were experiencing revival. People had to respond. Churches needed to be planted. The Jesus people movement was probably the greatest movement that we've seen in this nation. 2,000 churches planted from that movement. It's a problem. But are we willing to respond to that because God is moving? You see, we can't have this on our terms. We can't say, come God, bring all your glory, bring revival to us now and not be willing to accept the responsibility of what comes with it because with revival comes messiness. Oh, it comes messy. And we want to keep it in a nice little clean package. And I'm telling you, Pentecost was not nice and clean. They started having racial issues. They started having to feed people who were, didn't have food. People decided to stay in Jerusalem who were from all these other nations who came for the Feast of Pentecost. And now they didn't want to go home because they were experiencing God in such a, a, an awesome way. Can you imagine if homeless people invade the life of this church on Sunday mornings and they don't want to leave? What are we going to do? The city has a plan, kick them all out, no more camping. What are we gonna do? What will we do? It's a beautiful Old Testament revival story that we see in Second Chronicles. We have to go back into the Old Testament to see these revival stories taking place and I'm gonna have to speed through this a bit. It's only eight verses, Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse three. <clears throat> and this is about Hezekiah. And if you don't know about the story of Hezekiah, Hezekiah was a, a king of Judah. His father was King Ahaz. And King Ahaz was an idolatrous king. I mean, he shut down 
temple worship. And if you know anything about the people of God, the children of Israel, temple worship was everything. It was established by God. It was, it, it was King David, when he brought the presence of God back to the nation of Israel, it was, again, it was that thing that separated them from every other nation in the world as they had the presence of God with them. And temple worship was established. 24 hours of worship was going on in the temple because the presence of God was there. And so King David had worship teams that would come in and just lead worship. 24-7 worship was going on and the people could come come and participate with this worship. And as the lineage of kings went on and got passed on and passed on, it was honest, if you read through one king, one and two kings and one and two chronicles, you'll see it's almost like every other king. This one falls away from God. This one comes back to God. This one falls away from God. This one comes back to God. So King Ahaz was an idolatrous king. And so Hezekiah's father, he shut down temple worship. And so there was a huge amount of time. I think it was 16 years during his reign. They had not worshipped God. Hezekiah becomes king at 25 years old. And it's his heart in the line of David that he is going to reestablish worship of God's, uh, uh, the worship of Yahweh in the temple. And so this is where this picture um, starts in, in um, verse 3. Uh, notably in 1 Kings, it says of Hezekiah. That he, that he was a king after God's heart in the line of David and that there was none like him, which is crazy because that, that is even a supersession of David, which is wild, right? But it says in the first month of the first year of his reign, right away, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple. These doors had been shut and broken down. Re, uh, reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. And he summoned the priests. Can you say priests? It's going to be important for us. He summoned the priests and the Levites to meet him at the courtyard east of the temple. And he said to them, listen to me, Levites. Purify yourselves. Can you say that with me? Purify yourselves. Purify yourselves and purify the temple of the Lord. Purify the temple of the Lord, the God of our ancestors. Remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary. Remove all of the defiled things from the sanctuary. There have been other idols that were placed into the Lord's temple. They were putting asterisk poles and all of these other kind of like idolatrous monuments to other gods and demons that the people were coming in to worship in the house of God. He said, I want it all cleared out, every bit of it. Purify yourselves and then you come and we're going to purify this temple. Our ancestors were faithful and did what was, I'm sorry, were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. Can you imagine? He's talking about his father. Our ancestors were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned the Lord and his dwelling place. They turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors to the temple's entry room and they snuffed out the lamps they stopped burning incense and presenting burnt offerings at the sanctuary of the God of Israel. That is why the Lord's anger has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread, horror, and ridicule, as you can see with your own eyes. Because of this, our fathers have been killed in battle, and our sons and daughters and wives have been captured. But now I will make a covenant with the Lord. Listen to this. This is his work. Now I will make a covenant with the Lord. 
I will make a covenant with the Lord. So it wasn't the voice of heaven saying, you must make a covenant with me. This was him coming to his senses like the prodigal son came to his senses. I will make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. Do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence. Listen to this, to minister to him. To minister to him and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to him. Isn't this powerful? Let me tell you what this looks like in the new covenant. This picture, old and new. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And I'm telling you, saints, if we're waiting for revival, this temple needs to be cleaned out. This sanctuary needs to be cleaned out. And you know who cleans out those sanctuaries in this temple? The priests. And you know who priests are? I don't want you to get confused with any of your Catholic upbringing. Do you know who the priests are? 1 Peter 2.9. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. You are chosen, listen, by God to minister to him. You are chosen by God to minister to him and to lead people into worship. Friends, if that isn't what we just read in Chronicles, I don't know what is. My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to lead people into worship and present offerings to him. Hezekiah was bold enough to reestablish temple worship in a nation that had shut down worship for 16 years. And it was shut down by his father. And he rebuked those old ways. He chose to come back to the Lord. And it started by the cleaning out of the temple. Friends, repentance and turning back to the Lord is how this happens. As a priest, you are charged with keeping the temple pure. You are the gatekeeper of your temple. The devil can't make you sin. It used to be the whole thing. The devil made me do it. I'm telling you, the devil can't make you sin. He can suggest. He can tempt. He can put it all on a platter. But you're the one who has to choose to participate. And listen to this. And there is no other priest on this planet who can absolve you of your sins but the high priest. And his name is Jesus. You are in charge of keeping your temple clean. Because you are a royal priesthood. A.W. Tozer wrote this as well. It is useless for large companies of believers to spend long hours begging God to send revival unless we intend to reform. We may as well not pray. You see, Hezekiah could have just said, we're going to worship God. Just start, let's just start worshiping God. But until he chose to clean out that temple and those sanctuary and do it the way the Lord prescribed, it was never going to happen. There had to be reform. And this is commonly known in theological terms as Hezekiah's reform. 
until we're ready to reform. We can pray all we want for revival. We can pray all we want for God to sell, send, send uh, um, heaven's fire on us, for, for Sozo to start happening, he, healings and salvations and deliverance. But I'm telling you, unless we're ready to reform, why pray? And unless we're ready to allow God to do that which he wants to do here on this earth through us, through Restoration LA as a local church, why pray? Are we willing? Do we want revival? Do we want to see the things that we see in Acts? Do we want to be that primitive church to see people saved and come to know Jesus the way we have? Or are we just comfortable in knowing that we're in the club and yeah, I like this. This is pretty comfortable. Everyone knows each other. I like that. Unless praying men have the insight and the faith to amend their whole way of life and to conform to the New Testament pattern, there can be no true revival. There can be no true revival. Do we need revival today? Do we need revival? As you're looking at the world around you, is, is, is this world getting any closer to Jesus? <laughs> or does revival have to come? Do you need to be revived today? Maybe at one time you were on fire for Jesus, man. You were pressing in. You felt the presence of God. You were hearing God. You were answering the call of God on your life. And now it's just distant. You just... Does your temple need to be cleared? Are there other idols set up in the temple of the Lord in your life that need to be cleared out so that pure, undefiled worship can be presented to Jesus and Jesus alone? Revival comes when people take personal inventory. Is the Lord's presence absent from your life? Does sin have a grip on you? Are you weighed down by guilt and shame? Do you desire to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your life? Then if so, then you might need to be revived. You might need revival. Psalm 8010 says this, then we will never abandon you again. Revive us so that we can call on your name once more. Psalm 119.40 says this, behold, I long for your precepts. Lord, I long for your precepts. Another word for precepts, honestly, it would be, I long for the establishment of your word, right? Your scriptures. I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Psalm 119, 149 says this, Hear my voice according to your faithfulness. Revive me, Lord, according to your judgments. I know as Christians, and especially those who lean on grace and and we, we love this non-judgmental atmosphere. I don't want to be judged. But I'm telling you, friends, when we stand in the presence of God, we will absolutely be judged. And no, it is not our job to judge each other. We are called to love each other as each and every one of us stand equal before the cross. But I'm telling you, there is a judge, and his name is Jesus. And before him, each and every one of us will give an account. And because of that judgment, the only way that this judgment is escaped, listen, friends, is by repentance. The first step of true revival is when people's hearts turn back to God. People's hearts turn back to God. 
Friends, this is a church. It is the only organization that exists for its non-believers on this planet. And it was started by Jesus Christ. This is his church. This is not our church. This is not my church. This is not a hangout club. We are on his mission, and this is what we are about. And I'm telling you, the only way this works is if our hearts are turned towards him. If you guys wouldn't mind closing your eyes with me. If I'm honest, I need revival in my life. (laughs) So this could be like... If you need prayer because you don't read your Bible enough, raise your hand. Like everyone will raise their hand. But honestly, friends, if we're going to see revival in our age, it comes from a people that start by turning their hearts back towards God. Establishing true worship as priests. Clearing out our temples and leading others into pure worship. And I'm telling you, The city that we prayed for today in our prayer time is not unreachable. The millions upon millions that could daunt us as a small church based in East Los Angeles and be like, how do we reach a a, a metroplex of 22 million people that could be daunting? Not for Jesus. It wasn't for a a, a one-eyed black man, son of slaves, who came to a city he didn't even know, who started two days after he got here. And God did a mighty work. It wasn't for 12 unlearned, ordinary men that Jesus picked up from the, from, the, from the shipping docks. They had experienced an authentic encounter with Jesus. They were baptized by the Spirit. They were led by the Spirit. And they had a message that was po- more powerful than anything on this planet. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn to Jesus If you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is revival, friends. Do you want to be a part of it? I say yes and amen. I say yes and amen. Lord, use us. Use this small church in East L.A. to manifest your glory in this season. Lord, I pray for every every son and every daughter in this house. Lord, I pray for every priest I pray for every person that has said yes to you, God, that we stop wrestling. We stop wrestling with the mandate of the church to be the living, breathing hands and feet of Jesus on this earth. That we will reflect your glory. That we will not take any of it for ourselves. That we will turn people towards you. That we will, we will evaluate ourselves, Lord, in an ongoing way. We will live a lifestyle of repentance, God. We will take inventory of our lives. We will allow our, our sanctuaries and these temples, these dwelling places of the Holy Spirit to be evaluated by you. And we will reject anything that is not of you. Purify us, God. Lord, we want to see revival. I want to see revival in this place, through this place. There's people around us, God, lost, dying, going to hell, and you have placed us here for such a time as this. Use us, God. May we no longer be bystanders watching train wrecks happen without warning those who are headed for darkness and death. Help us, God. Help us, God. Spirit of the living God, I pray for a fresh awakening on us. Or those who have never been baptized in the Spirit, those who fear the baptism of the Spirit, those who reject the baptism of the Spirit, Lord, I pray for a lifting of that religiosity, God. 
May we be led by your spirit. We don't care how wild it gets. <laughs> or at least I don't, Jesus. <laughs> Let it be. Let it be. If this church has to roar like lions, let it be, God. But I pray that your glory will fall. That your glory will fall. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give Jesus praise this morning? So I took the hard one for these guys, the the repentance one. Um, in the next few weeks, we're going to be looking into prayer, looking into seeking, and then looking into restoration. And so I, I want you guys to be open to all that God is going to do in this season. But this is what I need from you. Friends, this is what I need from you. Our work, our work is to do the repentance. Our work is to do the prayer. Our work is to do the seeking. Revival is not a series and unlike the, the Webster's Dictionary, revival is not a series of emotional uh, um, celebrations that happen in a service. <laughs> revival lives in the people of God because we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Can you, friends, that's a revelation. The Spirit of the living God lives inside of you. He lives inside of you. Let him roar. Let him, whatever that looks like, you're going to have to let him roar. That's how revival comes. Can you imagine? Twelve unlearned ordinary men allowed the Holy Spirit to roar through them, and it changed the world. We have ten times that in this room. It can change this city. Let it be so in Jesus' name. Hey, we love you guys. One o'clock, you guys are invited to come back for our thermostat meeting. Go grab some meals. Um, I could use some help setting up some tables. We need some tables for today's meeting. So um, if you guys can help with that at some point between now and one o'clock, you're invited to come back. We love you. Have a great week, and we'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye.